You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Today's vocal passage is in the book of John, chapter 16. Take you a second to turn there if you have your Bibles today. If you do not have a Bible and you would like one, please stop by the Connect Desk on your way out this morning, and we would love to get you a Bible. I'm going to start in the middle of verse 4. It says this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat and the kids can be dismissed to their classes. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and sitting under the word. Man, that is a lot of little people. We're going to try to do this, right, for the next infinite amount of time. But then at the end of gathering, like, it's going to get a little raucous. It's a little wild. And so we're really excited about that. So let me pray. And then we will, uh, man, we'll jump in here, but not literally. God, thanks for your goodness, for your grace, and for just a sweet, uh, just a sweet opportunity to sing to you and about you and to pray and to submit ourselves to you and even for the next few minutes to sit under your word and to learn and grow together and what a sweet window in this passage where you just kind of, you set your disciples in that room up to see things uh, as you're transitioning out of this world in a unique way and God would you show us what that meant for them and, and would you show us what it means for us and in just simple ways would you show us that that even though we don't look around and, and see you in the flesh, um, God is near and your work continues without missing a beat. What a gift. What grace. Thanks for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so from the beginning of creation, when, when the universe was and, and humanity came into existence before the Lord and through his hands. God has been up to stuff with one thing in mind. 
And now there is mystery before that happened and mystery into the future and, and lots of mysteries along the way. But, but God has been doing one thing that's expressed time and time again in this book that's, that's really cool. And it took me a long time to kind of like put these pieces together. And I, I hope that it's helpful for us today. He's been establishing a people set apart for his own, for his glory, and when we get that, it's for our joy. That's what he's been doing for a long time. And so there are some references here. I'm just going to blaze through these. I just want to show you how God tells us this time and time and time again. And there are many more references than, than you see up there. But, but uh, in Genesis, he says, I will give you, this is the first book of the Bible. I will give you uh, and your descendants land and, and I will be their God. Later on in Exodus, he says, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. Later on, he says, I will remember their covenant that I brought them from Egypt and I will be their God. Later on in Ezekiel, he says, in order that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me. That's Israel in the, in the Old Testament is, is God's people so that they will no longer stray from me and no longer defile themselves with all their transgressors. Thus, they will be my people and I shall be their God. Later on, I'll bring them back to live with me. They'll be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Later on in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? That's things that People worship that are less than God. So he says, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For, for we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In Hebrews, he says it this way, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's significant because it helps us kind of put like what is this and what role do we have and, and what's the responsibility of the church and what does that look like and, and how does God show up in my life? But, but seeing that he's, he's at work doing bigger things than just you waking up and, and keeping a bunch of rules and going through life and, and carrying guilt and all that, he, the, he, he's not about that. He's about being God and us being his people and that looks a certain way and all of this is just showing us that way, just showing us what that looks like. There's a ton of liberty and just gift in that. But the way that he has gone about that since creation, and especially like we're looking at if you're reading the Bible cover to cover, I mean, that it's, it's looked a different way at times, right? It looks different in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and in different parts along the way. But, but a couple things that we get to acknowledge as we see how God has done what he has done is one, it's, it's totally up to him because he's God and we're not. That's really important. I can read the Bible and say, gosh, I don't think that I would have done it that way. But then I can either leave and say, well, he's wrong and I'm God. Or I can leave and say, gosh, what is he trying to do in me to show me that he's God and I'm not? Right? So one, it's totally up to him. And two, it's a mystery at times. 
Like he's revealed all that we need. But these few hundred pages cannot contain the, the fullness of God and all of his eternal splendor and glory backwards and splendor and glory forwards. And we have eternity to figure that out with him and with his people. So like, like, we, uh, like the way he interacts with his people has looked different and the way that he has revealed his fullness has progressed over time. You look at Adam and Eve in the garden and, and he says, hey, like, we're doing this. And I need you to do a couple things. And they're like, okay. And then later on, we see that he interacts uh, through covenants and through promises with Abraham. And we look at the life of Abraham. Uh, it's like a, a dude that God said, hey, I, I want you to be my guy. And I'm going to like make a people through your lineage. And he's like, okay. But the law had not been given yet. And so we see just the, the, all that he knows is that I'm God's guy. I, okay. But he doesn't, he doesn't have it all figured out, but, but, but he makes promises through these covenants and through promises, and, and later on he would have a, a similar conversation with, with Moses and a similar conversation with Noah and, and David, and ultimately in Jesus, these covenants that God works through to show us who he is in this kind of, uh, the way that he has revealed himself. Same God, cover to cover. Same God, eternity past. Same God, eternity future. That's really important. Here's what I mean. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, they're not pitted against one another. When, when we see that play out in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus comes and people try to figure out what's going on. And what's happening in this passage, he's telling them that he's going to leave and he's going to send the Spirit. And none of that gets to make us uncomfortable. We just get to look and say, like, What? He's showing himself in a different way, but the same way that he's always been. He's just giving us more information. The Father, God the Father, is the primary identity and relationship in the Old Testament. That's what he calls himself. That's meaningful. That, that tells us something. The Son, the primary revealer and, and relationship in the, the beginning of the New Testament, it's Jesus the Son. But he's not... Coming onto the scene, reshaping who God is. He's just revealing to us the fullness of God. <clears throat> Later on, the Spirit, sent by Jesus after Jesus. It's, it's the presence of God. He's the equipper. He's the guide. He's the reminder. He's the, the Spirit of truth. And all that can be a bit confusing. Right? That can be confusing, and so just kind of three really helpful things that will be at the top of this next slide. God is three persons. Each are fully God, and God is one. And you can spend the rest of your life sorting through that, right? Uh, but I'll just tell you this. Uh, he's not a pepperoni pizza, right? He's not pepperoni and cheese and sauce, and there you have it. And he's not ice, like it sounds really good. Uh, that, that sounds like a really good idea that he would be ice and, and water and vapor. And then you're like, oh, that's, that makes sense. That's not true because they all exist uh, at the same time. It's not like water can't be ice and vapor. And so, ah, heresy, dang it, right? <laughs> Lots of great ideas. A three-leaf clover and like father, there it is. And they all make one, but that's not true because if you tear it's just lots of things and, and there's nothing like that. That relationship is like, and yet, God is three persons, each fully God. God is one. 
Greg Allison says it this way. He says, the economy of harmony is led back to one God, for God is one. It is the Father who commands. It is the Son who obeys and the Holy Spirit who gives understanding. The Father who is above all, the Son who is through all, and the Holy Spirit who is in all. Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, I came here to see someone get baptized today, and this seems a little much. <laughs> like, I'm aware of that, and yet this is where all this meets us today. All right? My point is, in all of these things, when we see the Father and the Son and the Spirit, there are all kinds of heresy and all kinds of schisms around the Trinity and what's happened historically and, and fights and, and all kinds of diff difficult things. There are modern debates. Uh, I think this is the most technical thing that I'll say for the day, and then we'll kind of get into stuff. But there are modern debates around the nature of, of Jesus' identity. This isn't just old church stuff. But, but even right now, if you like hang around the right watering hole or maybe the right like Twitter threads, right? <laughs> uh, cesspools or whatever you want to call it. Um, you, you'll see words like this, and I'm not digging in. I, I just want you to know that, that these are things, right? There, there's this, these, these terms, the eternal functional subordination of the sun. I know. You're like, what are we literally doing right now? Or the eternal subordination of the son, and it's, it's really just this. Jesus clearly submitted to the father, but was that eternal? And so like even right now, that's like a tension among like theological circles, and, and I want to tell you the answer. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sorting that out today because that's not what we're doing. But all this meets us in John 16. We've been journeying together for, for quite a while now. And Jesus continues to reveal the fullness of God, his relationship, his plans, his purpose, and his mission. And the big idea of what we're getting at today is this. Jesus goes, but God is near, and his work continues without missing a beat. That's, that's what Jesus is letting his disciples know. And he's going to let us know as we kind of peer in the room to see that. And that's like drummer language, right, on purpose without missing a beat. I just want you to think about that, right? The, the best drummers, we have fine ones around here. You just never notice them, and they know that. If you notice the drummer, that's, and sometimes they're really good, and you notice them, and that's okay sometimes, right? But if they drop a stick, and they're like, and then they're hi-hat and trying to just figure it out, you might notice like they were gone for a couple beats and a couple measures, and then they grab something in their back but but Jesus he leaves and there's not even like a, a there's not no one drops their stick the the spirit and the plans of God just continue on he's setting them up for that it looks different but but he's setting them up without missing a beat his mission continues so so what we're going to see is that he's assuring them of their relationship so when they say, Lord, where are you in just a few days? Or when we deal with stuff in this life and we look around and we say, Lord, where are you? He's, he's, he's answering them right now. 
He's also assuring them that, uh, of the success of his purpose. When, when they say, how on earth will your mission carry on? How will you be God? And how will we be your people when you're not in the room? And, and he's giving them the answers. He's setting up the transition from, from Jesus to the Holy Spirit. And both have uh, eternally been at work. But he's saying it's going to look a little different. It is the same God with the same purpose. That's what he's setting up. And so here's what we see today. The, the first point is this. God is near. Just so simple and so important. He says it this way in John 16. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. It's like, I, I didn't have to tell you this. I didn't have to tell you what it was going to be like when I'm gone because I've, I've been with you. And he goes on, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? And that's funny because literally like three paragraphs before this, they did ask. But he's like, clearly in a different space. And he's like, I keep saying this and you're not asking me like where I'm going, but because I've said these things to you, this is important. Sorrow has filled your heart. I'm, I'm leaving and you're sorrowful. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So what he's saying is, and just in a week, in a, in a couple days, I will be gone. That's a feature, not a glitch. <laughs> That's what he's saying. That's the way that it's, it's always intended to be. That's the way that it must be. I, I'm, I'm telling you this. I'm leaving. You're sad. So as much as any part of Scripture... We cannot read this and apply it to our lives without figuring out what's going on here. So most of what we're doing today is like looking at what is happening in this room. Okay? I'm leaving, you're sad. And, and he's saying, man, that, that's true for any friend. But he's been giving them this kind of like, we're bros speech. And, and even this week, I've been just like enamored at, at the way that Jesus has spent three years with these, with these guys. They were bros. And we read all this and we, we apply like layers of theological grid. and We try to like decipher. But, but they had a real relationship and they were, they were bros. He said, man, it's no longer master and servant, but we are, we are friends. But this is, is particularly difficult because they think not only is their, their friend leaving but based on everything they've seen and all the miracles and all that Jesus has taught them, God is leaving them. You're the one, you're the Messiah. Like all of, it, all of life beyond this has been pointing to you coming up and, and being God and establishing your people and, and reuniting Israel under your kingship and what's going on. What do you mean you're leaving like, God is leaving us. And sure, they, they struggle to grasp and to believe at times. But the one establishing a people set apart for, for his glory and for their joy, he's not doing that the way that they thought he would. 
and they're struggling. And just as it was difficult for, for the Jews to receive Jesus, God had been interacting with them in a certain way for a long time. Again, all the Old Testament. And Jesus shows up, and they're kind of disoriented. And those that were, that were hard-hearted were saying, how can God be among us when we know him to be the one who saved us from the exodus through plagues and, and showed up in fire and cloud, and now you're telling me that you, Joseph and Mary's son, are the savior of the world? They struggled, and they're, they're struggling here. These disciples are struggling to find the, the greater revelation of the fullness of God, and they're sorrowful because they're losing this great fin, friend, but they're confused about what it means for them in their relationship with God. God isn't going anywhere. That's what he's telling them. Jesus is revealing a glimpse of something. The world will know shortly he'll suffer the cross tomorrow. He'll die and he'll be buried. <clears throat> Leaving his disciples in, in, in turmoil and in conflict and worry. And then he'll raise three days later and, and, and he'll ascend to heaven 40 days after that. They don't know that yet. We know that. They don't know that yet. And, and he'll ascend where he sits now at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, petitioning the Father on our behalf as our divine advocate, our divine lawyer, freeing all who call on him from sin, from hell, from judgment, from wrath, from guilt, from shame, and ultimately from death, that we might be with him forever. In two months from this time, they'll look around at each other. Like, have you ever gone through something with someone else, and it's just been like, you, say, you use the term like, man, it's been like a whirlwind of a week. Or like this whole year just felt like, I don't even know what happened. Could you imagine these people? Jesus, the Lord himself, shows up, and he says, hey, follow me. And they're like, oh, but I've got this stuff. To just come. And, and they, they walk with the Lord for three plus years. And then he, he dies, and he goes up into the cloud. They're just like, you, you imagine that, that two months from this point, they look at each other, and they take a couple deep breaths, and they just say, like, what has happened? Did any of that just happen? Are, are we on our own? Where did he go? Is he really gone? He, he said he was Coming back, right? Like, when? When is he coming back? Did anyone write down anything that he said? He said some, like, really good stuff. Mark, do you jotting that stuff down? John, anybody? Do you imagine that's what it was really like? Just disoriented. And here's the thing, if we can relate to anything in the life of the disciples, it's, it's this worry and this fear and this uncertainty. If I can't see Jesus in the room, am I alone? Does God hear me when I cry out to him? Does he see me when I'm at my worst? Is he aware of me? Will he take care of me like he promised that he would? And he'll answer two questions soon enough, two questions that we all probably ask of the Lord. Does he love me and is he near? By the cross, he will tell them and he will tell us 
that he loves no matter what. He came and he lived and he died to save us from ourselves, from sin and judgment. And he took our junk and he gave us his righteousness, his goodness, his sonship, his seat at the table with the family of God today and forever. And when this life feels hard, when I feel alone, when the world hates me for his sake, when I suffer through sickness, I know that he loves me because I can look back and I can say, he, he died for me. And the second thing, is he near? He's setting them up to know. By sending the Spirit, he tells us he is near. He doesn't give them everything. He says, there's stuff that I can't tell you right now. There will be questions that remain. They're probably saying, what will he look like? What will the new guy look like? What will he sound like? Is he as funny as you, Jesus? Does he have dad jokes like you always tell us? I don't know if Jesus had dad jokes. He probably did. He did. <laughs> will we have to pay for our food? Will we do that thing that you did all the time? Or it just shows up. Probably had a lot of questions, and some of them were really heavy, and some of them were probably really practical. He's just trying to set them up. Man, I, I don't know that I said this recently, but I see my kids like play sports or whatever they do, and Ireland playing soccer and softball, and Titus basketball and soccer, and, and, and I see them at times, man, succeed and do great stuff, and I see them struggle. I see an interaction with a coach that I know is just like hurting them on the inside or I see a missed free throw and like this is what I want to do. I, I, just, I just wish that I had a microphone in my kid's ear and I could just be like, bro, it's okay. Like, hey, it's fine. Ireland, it's okay. Hey, you struck out. That's fine. In the, in the scheme of things, it's going to be just fine. And, and I feel like what Jesus is saying is like, I, I, won't, I won't be able to talk, I won't be able to whisper in your ear like I can right now. But remember everything I said, and you're not alone because God is with you. You'll be just fine. That's what's happening here. Don't be sad. And he takes it further. He says, it's good for you. That I go. Nothing is changing relationally. It just looks a little different. I'm still moving towards the target of being God and you being my people. God is still near, and, and that is everything. And so I ask us do you believe that? It may be the most fundamental basis for our life in Christ and with God is that God is present. Like, I, I'm drawn to think at times that he exists in a book. He is near, dwelling inside all who call upon his name. We are the temple. We are the building blocks of the temple. We are the church. The, the living God dwells not among us, sitting next to us, inside of us, that means something. 
That changes the way that you engage in suffering and, and with sin and in failure and when you're alone and when you're not alone. And, and, and when you're hurting, I see you. And when you're confused and doubting, God says, talk to me. And when you don't know where to turn, turn to me and trust the spirit of truth. When you're feeling temptation and the weight of sin, you have a way out and the way out is me. It is to your advantage that Jesus isn't in the flesh sitting in the seat next to you because God is no less near. The second thing, God convicts. He says it this way, and when he comes, this is Jesus talking to them, and, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He will convict, right? What does that mean? Well, the Spirit uh, reveals. I, I read a bunch of stuff this week. I, I love this definition of convict, right? It, it, it means expose or declare someone guilty in, the, in kind of the, the practicality, but the Spirit reveals people's sins and teaches them the ways of God. <sighs> that is great because I'm people and I need Him to reveal my own sin. And He also teaches me and us the ways of God. He shows us into the way everlasting. <clears throat> I know that some of you have spent time in prison, jail, whatever. I know that others of you have not. I've picked up a few of you from time to time, right? I want you to think about whether it's a personal experience, you, someone that you know, the news, movies, shows, whatever, like, like the image of an inmate getting locked up, guards carried away down the hall, <laughs> right? The, the thing shuts and it's like, oh, the reality of like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sentenced. I've been convicted. That means that I've been exposed. And the truth is I've done the thing and now I have to do the time to settle accounts for that. Just th think about that. Like we must see ourselves, the reality is many of us probably don't see ourselves as being convicted of anything. And you would say, no, 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 I've never been convicted of a crime. It's true, like probably by the American courts or whatever, that's fine. And if you have, that's fine too. But, but we must see ourselves as having been convicted with regard to our sin against God. Like have you ever, have you ever known that about yourself? cuffed, escorted away to a holding cell, past the guards, down the hall, all the things. And one day you will meet your end there. That's how we have to see ourselves in light of our sin against the Lord. We have been convicted. And some of you, every one of us are guilty. And some of you know that. And some of you don't. We're all convicts convicted by the spirit of truth. So we must see ourselves having been condemned by our own actions, condemned by the fact that we have broken the law, and, and convicted by the spirit of truth. And yet, 
on this side of faith, on, on the other side of grace received, on the other side of mercy, we must also see ourselves as the inmate walking through the gates when the jailer lets us free because another has completed our sentence in full. Uncuffed, unshackled, you're given new clothes. You're not wearing an orange jumpsuit or a striped jumpsuit. And you look around as you, as you exit, you see the others that have been condemned that have not been set free. It says, just this way down the hall, just this way through these gates, they open the gate. And you're a free man or a woman. Those are spiritual realities. And the Spirit is at work to show us those things. And here's the thing. To the extent that we remember our conviction, Christ's righteousness and our judgment is the extent that we can live free from sin, that, we, that we're not drawn to, to walk back into prison, to, to walk back through the gates, into the prison yard, past the other inmates, yet to be freed, past the guards, through the doors. We, we put on our own cuffs all the way back into our cells that have been completely acquitted and, and set free from. That's what we do when we fall back into sin or when we carry guilt on this side of grace. No one does that. The Lord is not doing that. We do that to ourselves. And we walk back in and we find ourselves once again condemned. What Jesus is, is setting them free from is, is the weight of sin and the conviction and the Spirit shows us those things and he shows us the freedom that we have in Jesus. And you might say, well, how does all of that happen? Because the Spirit isn't sitting in a chair next to me. Well, I would say, I don't know. But then I would say this, that, that he is surely at work in and among and through and even in spite of his disciples. The Spirit is surely at work in, among, and through, and even in spite of us. And, and he does it a couple ways. One, the Spirit convicts directly. And he isn't chained by the word but he's he's liberated by the truth of God's character and nature that is the word that is to say the spirit he's he's not out paving his own path and Jesus tells us exactly that according to the character of God he can speak to us directly because he's near he speaks through his word, which is why as, as much as depends on us, we get, to, we get to wrestle with this all the days of our life. Interact with it. Let it expose us. Let it convict us. Let it free us by the finished work of Jesus. Store it in our, in our as David said, man, let me store this in my heart that I might not sin against you, Lord. And he does that through the church. The Spirit is at work directly because he is near. He is at work in the word and he is at work through the church. He equips the church and, and he uses his disciples to make and mature and multiply disciples. And, and through his word, he illuminates, he's called the, the, the spirit of illumination. He shines bright the truth and he reminds and he confronts and he applies the word. The spirit puts the contrast of the beauty of Christ and his kingdom against the backdrop of sin. He shows us darkness and he shines light. 
That, that's what he does. And he, and he points to the way of life. In just a few minutes, we will celebrate baptisms. And I mean celebrate. Like, well, it's, it's a real party, right? And it's delightful. And, and we have just a great opportunity to see the, the convicting, restoring power of grace. Our hope is that the Spirit would, would stir those in this room, those in this city, those in this county, in, among, and through, and even in spite of us, that, that the waters would stir beyond our imagination. We get to be a part of that work. What a gift. The last thing the Spirit does, or the last thing that God does, as Jesus is showing us here, is God guides, he guides the way. <clears throat> we read it like this. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's saying, like, you're not ready for this. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Hear me. The New Testament has not yet been written at this time. Jesus is interacting with them. He's setting them up and and as one says, the, the Spirit will continue to reveal the work of Jesus directed most specifically in the disciples and it finds particular fulfillment in their work of writing the New Testament. We already know that. We already know what happened. They don't know that. So when we read the Bible, we must figure out what is happening in the scene. But we also get to look beyond that. And certainly there are things that are true in, in the wider and enduring ways that meet us even here today. He goes on. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you things that are to come. Look what the Holy Spirit does. He will glorify me, Jesus says. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. One says it this way. The Spirit draws no attention to himself, but focuses on Jesus. He will glorify Jesus by revealing his glory to his followers. One way to know if the Spirit is really at work, is he illuminating the word of truth? And is he glorifying Jesus? See, I, I've been a part of hyper-charismatic church, uh, churches, and the Spirit seems to be a pioneer paving his own path. And Jesus says, specifically, he's not doing that. He's not making much of himself. And you know what? He's not making much of you. He's guiding us through this living and active word. And he's showing us how to live lives that glorify Jesus. So the pressure's off. Monday, 
we celebrated my daughter's uh, 14th birthday party, and we were at Golden Dragon. I wouldn't, that's where we always go on birthdays, Chinese buffet. And inevitably, it's me and, and Kim and Titus in Ireland, <clears throat> my, my family, and then my parents were with us, and, you know, we, we began to have a conversation about uh, driving and navigation, and, and that inevitably led to me owning my greatest deficiency in all of life. Like, I can't navigate. Like, not at all, not a little. And look, I, I've thought of this a lot, and I, I process, and I, I don't do things that I'm not good at for long periods of time, and yet I have to drive. Like, I have to do that. And so, don't, don't try to fix me after this. I don't want to hear it, right? <laughs> I, I, like, I could... Literally, at the, end of this, at, the, at the end of the conversation, I said, I think I'm going to write a book about being navigationally challenged, right? But neither here nor there, and don't tell me it's my phone. Like, it's not, stop. So, so mom and I, I, I get it from my mother. Um, thanks, mom. Um, mom and I, we, we share tales of our disorientation and kind of the panic of being on our own. This is pre-cell phone days for sure. Like, late for an appointment or, um, or like she was late for first day at work. And even though my dad like went the day before and like they literally went on the thing, you know, they like, this is what you're going to do. And she got lost and just like heart racing and pounding and just anxiety and call from a pay phone. Where am I? What do you see? You know, like that. Me missing soccer games or, or coming late to soccer, like just anxiety-inducing, you know, like, gosh, navigation, it's so tough. Um, it makes me bite my lip. I don't you guys know me well enough. That's what I do, and I'm, like, really nervous, like, <laughs> right? <laughs> but the comfort that I have, because I am decent with technology, um, having an all- access, pass to the all-seeing, all-knowing, I know where I am, I know where I'm going because I have access to Google Maps. <laughs> and that changes everything about that scene. I don't worry about that, for real. Like, I'm terrible at that. But I don't worry about it because, like, I'm good and I have a charger and this can get me there and that's okay. Jesus is relieving the burden for his, his disciples by telling them that although he is not driving, he's leaving soon, they have everything they need to find their way home. For God to be their God and for them to be his people. That's us. Same truth. Same spirit. Same God. And, and everything we need is, is already done in Christ. It's done. You have to do nothing but trust it. Behold him. Let him shape your life, right? It's all been established in this book and gifted and equipped to us by the Spirit and shared in this life alongside the church. We all get to do this together. What a gift. Jesus goes but, but God is near and his work continues without missing a beat. And what that means for us is because God is near, we don't have to worry that we'll find ourselves without him. 
And, and because God convicts, we can be aware of sin, our own and others, and we can engage the battle to defeat it because it's already been done. It means you're no longer a slave to sin. And you no longer have to tell the world around you to condemn them. They're already condemned by their sin. You get to show them the way out, which is Jesus. And because God guides, we get to follow the way, the truth, and the life. What a gift. And we get to celebrate all of that. As we said, today's going to be a little different. There will be a slide in just a second, like a, a way for us to just consider, reflect, repent, respond. If you have kids on the other side of that wall, in just a second, with caution and courtesy to the others around you. Uh, if they're under kindergarten, go get them. If they're kindergarten to sixth grade, they will come in here and just kind of be aware. There will be kind of people all over the place. So just we get to reflect and we get to sing uh, Get your kids, make sure you have yours and not someone else's, if that's okay, and, um, and continue to sing with the band as the band comes on up. God, thanks for your goodness and your gift, and just a, a sweet word that just shows us a little different piece, that they had unique burdens as you were transitioning from this world, and you coached them, and you showed them that, that they were not alone, and that the mission was going to go on with, without missing a beat that God would be God and that all who call upon the name of Jesus would be your people today and forever. What a gift. Thank you that we get to celebrate these waters being stirred and it, and it reflects uh, a church family committed to investing and making disciples of those young and small and, and, and old. And, and God, would you let us celebrate as often as you would new life in you. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.